So far the <clears throat> style of meditation has been very much uh, directed towards uh, calming the mind, helping the mind to settle, uh, providing, to providing the right kind of conditions for the mind to settle. And just living uh, in this retreat center, on this retreat, um, although it might not seem very much, uh, everything here is is supporting a sense of calm, a sense of collectedness, and not having to talk, not having to make a lot of decisions, yeah. biggest decisions whether to have tea or coffee, <laughs> whether to have sugar or not. Nothing, uh, we haven't been asked to engage in a lot of complicated mental activity. So over the last few days, uh, there's really been, uh, everything has supported the mind settling down. Uh, Obviously, we each of us bring certain habits of thinking, certain ways of relating to life. Um, We bring like the memories of what we've been doing before, we bring a kind of momentum uh, comes with us, and I'm sure we've all had to uh, have a a few reruns of things that have gone before, and uh, to experience uh, the results of having trained our minds, either consciously or unconsciously, in particular ways. But basically, the whole meditation, the whole environment, has been about calming and settling the mind, what we call samatha practice, meditation on calm. And this is uh, really indispensable um, for the um, arising of insight and to get any kind of uh, perspective or clear view of the habits of mind. Um, It's very useful uh, if the mind can settle down even just a little bit. And some of you may have experienced um, a lot of calm. There's certainly um, a whole vast range of of states of of, uh, samadhi, uh, calm, that can be experienced, that are described in the suttas. Um, But for, for insight, even just a little bit of calm is helpful. But in itself, it's not enough. And if we really want to free the heart, we also have to um, develop an understanding, develop a knowledge of uh, the reality of our human existence, our human predicament. You know, I've talked about anicca, dukkha, anatta, impermanence, unsatisfactoriness, impersonality, uh, in regard to all conditions. um, And uh, for some of you, it probably makes perfect sense. Um, but it takes, um, can take many years, many lifetimes, in fact, for it to actually penetrate deeply, um, for us to, to find that every moment, every experience we have is seen uh, in the light of these characteristics. So even after many years of practice, you may find well, certainly it's been my experience that I still find that sometimes a particular mood will arise and I forget that it's uh, anicca, dukkha, anatta. I, I automatically engage in some kind of a struggle to get rid of it or to change it. I automatically tumble into the trap of saying, oh, you know, I should be better than this by now. You know, what would people think if they knew? all these kind of ways that we can create enormous amounts of suffering for ourselves. And that's just because I'm still practicing, I'm still learning, I'm still developing my practice, and uh, hopefully uh, in the end, uh, when we arrive at a state of unshakable deliverance, this wonderful phrase, the unshakable deliverance of the heart, which is where there's no longer the slightest doubt no longer the slightest possibility of falling into this trap. So in order to arrive at uh, insight, we have to uh, develop a more investigative approach. 
so we have the meditation to calm the mind, and then we have med- meditation that focuses more on uh, noticing, more on investigation of conditions as they arise. In fact, the two uh, techniques are it's really just like two sides of the hand, you know, the, the palm and the back of the hand, or uh, sunshine and shadow. You know, they, 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 they're um, uh, inextricably bound up with each other. And uh, although, you know, there might be traditions that call themselves vipassana or call themselves samatha, uh, actually, um, they're... Uh, each each one supports the other. So um, during these last days, as as, as you've been um, making the effort to to uh, focus the mind on the breathing, um, just that very exercise can, can bring very powerful insights into the nature of the mind. You know, we 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 realize uh, that. The mind has an energy, has a vitality of its own. Before we practice, we think, well, I th- you know, we, we tend to assume that we, we choose when to think and what to think about. <laughs> but five minutes of Anapanasati soon um, dispels that illusion. <laughs> and we realize that actually uh, that's not the case. And it's much more uh, uh, like the image of having to, to, to live with something that has a very powerful energy, has a powerful uh, direction of its own, and just learning how to, to coexist, you know, like like with a sort of a pet a pet wild horse, <laughs> that uh, we can't expect it just to to walk to walk to heel or to walk at a sedate pace just because we want it to. You know, it it has an energy, it has a vitality. It needs to be trained. It needs to be tamed. And then having done that, having, having understood it, having found the, the proper means for, for, for taming it, um, it can then be very, very helpful to us. You know, it, it, it can serve us uh, in a very good way. So it's not that we have to get rid of the mind or get rid of our intelligence, um, but it's more understanding and, and taming it, you know, making it, instead of having it as the master, as the petty tyrant that pulls us around, pushes us around, according to its whims and fancies, uh, we reverse roles and, and we become uh, the one who directs the mind. When there's a need to plan, when there's a need to think things through, when there's a need to, to actually direct the mind in some skillful way to reflecting on some aspect of our human existence, we can do that. And, uh, you know, it can be um, extremely useful. So it's, it's not like um, a denial of any aspect of our humanity. It's more a, a kind of um, taming or, or bringing things into proper alignment, like gathering the energy together and directing it uh, in suitable ways. So as I said, we've already, most probably, through our samatha practice, we've already actually um, developed, to a certain extent, the vipassana approach, the insight approach. Uh, We must surely have asked ourselves the question, or been uh, noticed, uh, this fact about the human mind. That actually it's it's not what, who and what we are, that the mind is, is other than me, that there is the possibility to observe the mind, to observe the body, rather than to be totally identified with it. When we identify with it, when we attach to it, inevitably it brings us some kind of suffering. So we've begun to understand already a little bit more about our human existence. And what I'd, I'd like to do now is to give a guided meditation um, 
helping us to uh, just explore different ways of examining um, our experience in the light of these characteristics. As I've said before, uh, this retreat, this guidance um, that is given is very much um, an invitation to each one to to try out and um, to uh, devise your own uh, ways of um, understanding these things. You know, what, what I teach is what, what I've found useful uh, in my own practice, but I, I'm different from each one of you, and each one of you is different from each other one of you. And uh, although there are certain universal principles, um, how, when, under what conditions you apply the teachings will, will, will vary. So I'll try and uh, suggest various, what we call, skillful means um, in helping us in our uh, investigation. And uh, to emphasize that um, these means, um, we'll certainly be applying them in quite a focused way during this retreat, but they are um, tools that you can take away with you, um, and apply in, in any situation. They're tools that we apply sitting on the mat, on the walking path, but equally during the in-between times of the day, we can still um, maintain this awareness, this interest in our experience. It's not that you know, our formal meditation is the only thing that really matters, but we make the whole of our lives like a laboratory, uh, a field of investigation. And sometimes when people come to the monastery, they say, well, how, much, you know, how, much, how long do you spend in meditation? And they expect us to say, well, you know, six or seven or eight hours or something like that. And they're often quite surprised. You say, well, we have, you know, morning puja, we sit for about an hour. And then we have evening puja, we sit for about an hour. I think, well, is that all? And then you kind of say, but actually, we try to make our whole life a meditation. Yeah, so obviously, when you're sound asleep, when you're resting the body at night, there will be some hours when there isn't this clarity, this alertness. But we try to um, see every moment as an opportunity for insight, understanding. And I've found in my own practice that often the, the most powerful, uh, the most lasting uh, insights come when I'm doing quite ordinary things. <laughs> and uh, you may well find the same thing yourselves. doesn't mean that you don't have insight when you're on your mat, but you can also have uh, insight, just these, these wonderful magic moments when suddenly something just falls away or you know, something that mattered terribly just suddenly doesn't matter anymore. Just a sort of delicious feeling in the heart when just, that's all right. <laughs> So um, I suggest you uh, find your uh, comfortable as possible meditation posture uh, on a chair, on the floor. So settling ourselves in the moment, aware of the context. So this morning the context is um, the fourth day of the retreat, on retreat, gathered together with people that we probably don't know very well, if at all. 
morning time, having rested, having had breakfast, so we're not very hungry, we're not very reasonably comfortable in the body, hopefully. We're aware of the body sitting. We're aware of the pressure due to the pull of gravity, contact with the chair, contact with the mat, aware of the weight of the body, aware of the space around the body, aware of the energy in the body, keeping it upright, the vitality of the body. aware of the breathing of the body. Not trying to do anything special with it, but just noticing the air entering and leaving the body as we breathe. Taking a few moments to check through the body to make sure that there's um, no areas of tension. And if, if we do feel tense around the neck and shoulders, for example, or the face or the hands, then just taking a little time uh, to set the body at ease. If you find it helpful, just to experiment with us breathing in a sense of ease and well-being into the heart center, directing the breath as a form of energy, a healing energy, to take away the tension, to take away the pain from wherever you're feeling it in the body. So we're fully acknowledging the existence of this body here. Acknowledging it with a sense of kindliness, wishing it well, that it may be comfortable, not strained or tense or miserable. And also with a sense of respect, that it's worthy of our care. This is the, the vehicle that we have for liberation. And without a body, it's very difficult to get enlightened. It's possible, they say, but it's... Having a body is, is a very powerful tool, very powerful means for reflection, contemplation. So we take proper care of it and we respect it. And taking a little time just focusing on the breath, as we've been doing. And as we breathe, we contemplate the process of breathing. recognizing that it's a flow. That there's no point where we can actually stop breathing. There's no point where we can actually fix the breath. And having breathed in, inevitably, we need to breathe out. When the out-breath has ended, then there has to be another in-breath.
even if we wanted to only breathe in, if we like the in-breath but don't particularly like the out-breath, we, we, we couldn't do it. There has to be... Uh, we, we have to allow this process of change. It's part of the nature of things. We can't have the same breath twice. we may have the tendency to identify quite strongly with the body. And this too, we can challenge. We breathe in air from the room. Air in the room comes from outside. We breathe it in and for a short span it becomes part of the body. There's an exchange of molecules in the lungs. And then there's the out-breath. Perhaps different molecules flowing out into the room, into the surrounding area. No longer a part of this body what we consider to be me or mine. Those very molecules may, in turn, become a part of somebody else's body. We begin to be aware to notice the subtle interdependence, the subtleties of the changing nature of this physical form, the dynamism of this human body, the food that we ate this morning, recognize that it undergoes a process of change, a transformation once we've eaten it. Some of it becomes part of the body, some of it gives energy to the body, like fuel. Some of it is eliminated, not useful to the body. So even second by second, these bodies are undergoing a process of change. That we can only very superficially begin to understand. You know, a scientist or a biologist may have a little bit more insight into the biochemistry, the physics, but even that is fairly limited. And we contemplate the subtlety of these processes. In Buddhism, we talk about six senses. 
ways that we um, perceive, uh, that we um, relate, that we receive um, the surrounding environment. This bodily awareness that we've just spoken about to some extent. And other than bodily awareness, there's eyes or, or sight. There's hearing, the ear. There's a sense of smell that picks up fragrances, odors, a sense of taste. And then the sixth sense that is referred to is, is the mind that ability to to notice thoughts, to be aware of thoughts, to be aware of memory. So in our meditation we can uh, contemplate experience through any one of these senses. For example, the ear Just place all the awareness on hearing, just contemplate hearing. It's actually fairly quiet here, but listen very, very carefully. Do hear, well, there's my voice, which is certainly a sound. It's the sound of our own breathing sound of just gentle movement around us, humming, which might be to do with the heating system, or we don't have to have a name for it, we can just notice the sound. being aware of sound as we experience it in this moment. We can notice how it changes. It's not a fixed, static phenomenon, a kind of vibration. The fact of change means that it is inherently unsatisfactory. Like those of you who are musicians will be very well aware of this. You know, even the most fabulous piece of mo- music, the most fabulous moment during a piece of music, it's very, very fleeting. It's an unstable condition. If we try to hold on to it, we'll suffer because inevitably it's wrenched away away from us. Time moves on relentlessly. We can't hold on to any experience. We can be aware of its pleasantness or its unpleasantness. We can stick a label on it. 
describe it in some way. But still it changes. We can contemplate the ear as a, an instrument, something that is able to detect certain vibrations, detect and translate it into something that we can recognize. As we get, as the aging process happens, then we can notice changes in the ability of this uh, instrument to function effectively. Just like with any, um, any tool, any, any instrument that is not connected with the body, it wears out, it changes. It's the same with our, with our own ears, with our own eyes, nose, tongue, body, mind. Although we can tend to identify with them quite strongly, through this meditation, through this contemplation, we begin to question that identification. We begin to see that these are just a part of nature. Phenomena that we certainly live very, very closely with throughout our lifetime, but not essentially who and what we are. Something that you might like to try is just asking the question, who's hearing? Or even, what's hearing? And if we ask that question and listen deeply, the chances are we'll find a vast silence. maybe even just for a fraction of a second before we sort of say, well, I'm hearing, or it's me, or <laughs> naming it in some way. But the immediate response tends to be just this vast silence. And we realize that there's, there's nobody here. So we can use the senses to bring us to this insight, insight into change, unsatisfactoriness, impersonality. contemplating in relation to the foundations of mindfulness. We can notice the mood, the mental climate. One way of bringing awareness to this is just like to ask, you know, how is it right now? 
not to come up with a verbal answer, but just to bring oneself to that awareness of the general state of mind without judgment. So to notice if the mind is feeling calm and at ease, bright, optimistic, or if it's feeling irritable, negative, or anxious, or fearful. And maintaining that awareness, we can notice how it changes. We may also notice the, the tendency to react you know, to an unpleasant state. We, uh, there can be a, a, a movement to, to try to get rid of it, try and make it better. A pleasant state, there can be a subtle clinging, trying to make it last. And in our, in our meditation, we can actually notice those two movements of the mind and just, just keep relaxing. Now I find like this, I use the words, this is how it is, as a kind of mantra, just to, to keep holding the awareness with the way it is. And noticing how it changes often in very, very subtle ways. Sometimes we'd like it to change faster, which is where uh, we see the importance of patience, just being willing to stay with it for as long as it takes. We can be aware of the mind, the space of the mind. We can also be aware of the mind objects, you know, thoughts that may arise. And there's an infinite variety of these that can come along. Sort of comments on how we're doing, comments on what's happening around us, Memories, and often during retreat time, we can find memories coming up of long, long, long ago when we were little children. The things that we had forgotten all about can suddenly pop into our mind. Or concerns about the future. Or just moods of irritation, grumpiness illness, misery, struggle, <laughs> one kind or another. But in our meditation, we can actually just contemplate these as they arise in consciousness. We can notice them arising. We can patiently uh, bear with them while they're there. And we can allow them to cease to change, to move on, to, to transform, to become other, just as part of nature. We don't have to intervene. Practicing like this, there's a. Um, what can happen is that you know we can be noticing thoughts or memories you know, very objectively, and then uh, suddenly we realise that we've got lost in them. We've 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 jumped in. We've identified. 
uh, we've got involved with a particular stream of thought or memory. And it sometimes quite a while before we realize what's, what's happened. That, you know, although physically we're sitting here on our mat, in fact, our mind is way somewhere else, <laughs> another time, another place not here at all. This is not something to give ourselves a hard time over, but more to regard with a sense of interest. We're learning something about the human mind. We're able to observe something at first hand about this mind, about this body. So instead of blaming ourselves or hating ourselves or feeling we're doing it wrong, we can see this as an incredible blessing. This is a moment of insight, understanding. There's learning about the power of the mind. Like a, like a magician or a, or a film show. Just colored lights on the screen but we make a whole story, a whole drama around it, and we can laugh or we can cry, we can feel frightened. It's just a shadow play. The reality of the situation is we're sitting here. Everything's fine. We're living our lives in a very skillful way. So just like in the movies, when you get well, this is something that used to happen to me. I used to get very, very frightened or very um, sorrowful. And so from time to time, I just have to kind of hold on to the seat and realize that it wasn't really <laughs> happening. <laughs> it was just a film. In the same way, uh, when we get lost in the movie that we're observing in our own mind, we need to reestablish our awareness our connection with some foundation for mindfulness. doesn't matter which one we use, but just to recognize that there are these um, reference points that we can turn to at any moment as we sit. So sometimes with thinking, you may notice your face tensing up your shoulders coming up a little bit. And so, you know, rather than thinking I shouldn't be thinking, just take some time to relax the face or relax the shoulders. Bring the awareness back into the body. observing the movements of the mind, we become aware quite quickly of a tremendous dynamism, very, uh, things change very, very fast, can do. You know, when, we, when we're just observing them, when we're just noticing, we can notice this as we sit on our mat in our meditation, we can notice this in our daily life practice. You know, we might be feeling perfectly fine, bright, confident, and then somebody says something, or looks at us in a particular way, or does something, and suddenly we're plunged into the depths of despair, or experience some kind of powerful rage suddenly flaring up. This is something to notice with interest. Notice with interest and compassion, kindliness. We don't have to blame ourselves, we don't have to blame each other. Neither do we have to identify 
with the mood, with the thinking. Seeing it as instead as just a simple natural result of what has gone before. These reflections that we do each day, I am the owner of my kama, heir to my kama, born of my kama, related to my kama, abide supported by my kama. And kama is just what has gone before to bring about this condition and our response to it. The enlightened response, just knowing it for what it is, changing, unsatisfactory, not what we essentially are, is a letting go, a stepping outside of that process. No longer adding to it, no longer creating new, fresh kamma through our reactivity. So we can see this vipassana practice as a practice of challenging all of the assumptions that we make about our lives, about who and what we are, as a way of gaining insight, understanding, looking in to life as we experience it, investigating. So rather than seeing ourselves as a composite person, we begin to dismantle the person. See, there's a body, and there's a mind, and the mind consists of feelings, you know, vedana, which can be pleasant, unpleasant, or neutral, sanya, perception, memory, how we receive things, how we interpret things, sankhara, what we do with that perception, There's a tendency to formulate things, to uh, respond uh, through liking or disliking, you know, volitional action. And vijnana, consciousness, and this is one of the ways that the Buddha encouraged us to analyze this uh, personality, this, this, this person package, you call it, and say, just take it all apart. So rather than me and me and you, us and them, me and other, and setting ourselves apart from the world, we see that we just consist of a lot of elements, earth, water, fire, air, put together and held in place through the wanting to exist, desire, this desire for being. A natural and understandable human pastime, but one that can lead us into extraordinary suffering. So when there's some kind of suffering arising, some kind of struggle going on in your meditation during the day, 
take a look and see what's sticking. Is it that I'm identifying with this? Is it there's some kind of wanting in there, wanting things to be otherwise? What's going on here? So for the rest of the morning, what I would suggest is to just notice moment by moment how things are. Using the the question, how is it right now? And then just noticing, observing how it is. And just trying to stay with that watchfulness, that quiet, quietly watching. As we experience the unfolding of our human life. And if you find getting involved or attached in some stream of thinking, then to once again say, how is it right now? What's happening here? or to return to the breath, just as a way of uh, re-establishing our perspective, re-establishing mindfulness.